and uh, looking uh, into our text this morning, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17 again this morning. And as we continue with uh, this short series on faith in the midst of the famine, and uh, we're going to read verses 1 and we'll read down through verse number 16 uh, to give us the full context of it. Let me just give you some admonition, if I could, this morning, uh, where you're at. Uh, and that is, though we're not able to meet, and by, by no means do we think that this is sufficient for the church. We believe the church should gather. And we are looking forward to the day that we can gather again. Uh, but we're doing our best to bring to you um, something close proximally of what church would be like, and you're being there in your church. And so I would encourage you to maybe do some uh, practical things to make it more like church at home. Uh, like those of you that are sitting in your pajamas next week, get dressed. And uh, for those of you that don't have a Bible out right now, maybe go find one. No, seriously, go find a Bible, bring one right now, and come back and sit down and have a Bible in your hand. It, it would be really good that we have those things to remind us that this is not just watching uh, a video, it's not just another Netflix series, uh, but we're taking, and, uh, we're taking the Word of God and we're trying to communicate the Word of God through song and uh, through, the, through the preaching of the text. And so I hope you'll take it seriously. I hope you'll be intentional about it. Um, and I just challenge you to do that. Make it as much uh, as, as important and a rock in your week as you possibly can uh, in these circumstances. And uh, we are going to do our best to continue to improve this. Let me just say thanks to our worship team, uh, to Brother Randy putting together the music each week, of course, as he's done for years and years. But now, especially in these times where it's so different, and the men that are helping with the PA and making all that work, Brother Mike, Brother Brad, Brother Cameron, and the work that goes into getting that done. And, and, and every week, they've improved something in it and made it better. And I really appreciate that hard work that's gone into it. And uh, so let's uh, keep them in our prayers and remember uh, the sacrifice that these people are making as well to make all this possible. And so we just ask you to join us, and we're going to stand and read together in verse uh, number one, and we're going to read all 16 verses of this account. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, you should have had time to go get one and get back by now. And uh, we'll begin reading in verse number one, and we'll read down through verse number 16. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitant of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. And so he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and fish in the morning, and bread and fish in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass that after a while that the brook dried up, because there, was no, there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. And he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, 
that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, and make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Join me in prayer again. Father, we ask you for wisdom now as we open your text before your people. We ask you, Father, that you would help us to uh, perceive the gravity of the text and the hope that we find in it this morning. Or may our hearts be settled uh, as we look into the pages of Scripture here on this Sunday together. And in the precious name of Jesus, we ask all these things. Amen. As you're seated there and you have your Bibles open there, we find the account, of course, of Elijah, and we've been going through this account for two weeks now. This is our third week in it. Uh, the limited resources that we find in the time of a famine. Elijah, of course, was sent by the brook Cherith, and the brook dries up. The ravens no longer are bringing food, and God sends him to another place. Uh, I would say to you this morning that as we begin this thought, I want to say to us that the limited resources we find ourselves in now is no excuse to sit on the sideline of ministry. That God calls us to be ministers and to minister even in droughts, even in tough times. As a matter of fact, I find that people's hearts are even more in tune to uh, the need for something other than what they can provide in these times. And God is going to use Elijah to minister, and he's going to use a widow woman to minister to Elijah. And God uses this in a strange way. Now, I want you to notice the faith of Elijah is very much on display. Though Elijah is being trained in this ministry for Jehovah God, Elijah's faith is very much clear here. We see opening passages, Elijah goes before Ahab in the verse 1, and he stands there and declares before Ahab, had he not trusted God's will in the matter, he would not have gone to Ahab. And yet he follows God's word and goes into Ahab and proclaims the drought is coming. And then we see in verse number 3, uh, the phrase from God, get thee hence. And then verse 5 opens, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Uh, and so Elijah obeys. Now we find him in verse number 8, and the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise and get thee to Zarephath, in verse number 10. So he arose and went. And even when we look at the life of this woman, this widow woman that we find, in verse number 14, we see the phrase, Thus saith the Lord, in verse number 15, She went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And so we see these two individuals, Elijah and this woman, both acting in faith and doing so immediately as God spoke. God spoke, they obeyed, and they stepped out. Of course, now we see the rain has not come according to the word of Elijah. No rain has been there. The brook has dried up. The famine is taking hold, and hunger is a reality. And so then God is going to send Elijah to a widow's house to be cared for it. This morning, we're going to shift our attention a little bit to the faith of this widow woman and seeing God using her in this time as well. I want to see a few things this morning. First off, I want you to see an unlikely person. We'll see a limited resource, resource an obedient servant, and then a miraculous ministry. And we'll look at those four things this morning to kind of give us the 
the, the steps that we walk through this text together with. First off, an unlikely person. I, I don't know about you, but this always has caught me kind of flat-footed when I read it. If I were to pick somebody to supply needs for a hungry prophet, it wouldn't be a widow. A widow with a child, nonetheless. A widow who had dependents, who had financial obligations. And, and in this time and day, the widows would have been the poorest of the poor. There would have been very little resources for her uh, in a normal economy, much less in the midst of a drought. And yet God sends Elijah to a widow. The audacity of Elijah going and saying to this woman, make me a cake first. That always bothers my mind. I'm like, no, no, how can I feed you? And yet Elijah, because of his confidence in the word of God to provide for this widow, tells her, if you will follow the word of God, this will be the result. And he goes in and declares it. Not only is this a widow woman, but he sends Elijah outside the nation of Israel. He sends him to a Gentile widow woman. And it's so interesting to me that so often when, when God is trying to show the nation of Israel their lack of faith, he points them to Gentile people who had faith. And here in this account in Jesus, even himself references this widow in his ministry when he says, were there not other widows in the days of Elijah? And yet only the widow of Zarephath was the one that was provided for. That's the one Elijah was sent to. And it was her humble faith that God used. This is an unlikely person to send him to. But that's not new for God, is it? God is always using unlikely people. He's all the time taking the, the one that you and I would count out of the game or be picked last for kickball, and God's the one that picks them and brings them to the front to do the work. We think of Jacob and Esau. It's the younger now that's leading the older. We think of Joseph. Joseph, that dreamer the one that none of his brothers wanted anything to do with, the one that nothing could go right for him no matter what he did. I mean, everything seemed to go wrong for Joseph all the way up until he was almost 30 years of age. And God raises up Joseph to be second in command of Egypt. And God uses an unlikely servant. We think of David. I mean, imagine the confidence David must have had when his dad wouldn't even consider him part of the family when he asked for all of his sons. When his sons were called for, David's left in the field. He's not even called to the table. Nobody wants to talk to David. David's the youngest. Leave him out there. And yet David comes forward and God calls him as a man after his own heart. I think of the apostle Paul, an unlikely candidate, is he not? The one who's persecuting the church of God, the one who is doing the most to destroy the people of God, God calls him, stops him, reforms him, regenerates him, and now is the greatest ministry, uh, ministry of gospel ministry ever in the history of the church and writes more scripture than any other apostle. What, what a miracle that God does when he reaches in and grabs the unlikely. You know, if you ever doubt that God uses unlikely candidates, consider the fact that he uses us. He uses you and I, and there's nothing in us that should merit God using us, and yet for some reason God looks down, and he takes us where we are, and he molds us into the servants and in the vessels that he wants us to be, and he uses us for his glory. You know, I was thinking, where would I send Elijah? I think if I had a choice, I would not send Elijah to a Gentile widow woman in this day. I would have found a king somewhere in a neighboring country who had plenty of wealth, and I would send him over there. That king will take care of you, or maybe at least to some landowner somewhere that had plenty of wealth and outside the reach of the drought. You see, the way I would do things would be man's wisdom. The way God does things is God does it in a way that only God can get the glory for it. 
God always sets things up so he gets the glory. Not only do we see an unlikely person, but we see uh, in this text a limited resource. You know, famines and trials do not make us weak, but they reveal our weakness. That's what they do. They expose our weakness. They expose our lack of resources. You know, and let, let me challenge us as a church and as a people, let's not go back to being strong again. Let's continue to be weak. Let's continue to be aware of our dependence. When God sends us through a valley like what we're going through as a nation and as a church, and yea, the world is going through this same time, it is always God is trying to get our attention. God wants me to understand my need of him, and often God will send us through those limited times. So we see that even in the blessed times, when there was plenty of oil in the cruise and plenty of meal in the pot, and there's plenty of food to eat, that even then we are not the ones that are sufficient, but he is the one that is sufficient. And so we see these limited resources, and let me just say again, compared to the task that we have before us, Regardless of the time that you put your finger on the timeline of church history, regardless of where you find yourself, compared to the task that we've been given, our resources will always be limited and have always been limited. Listen to how she describes it when he comes to her in verse number 12, and she said, as the Lord God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. I think that's the way we would describe it, wouldn't it? We have a handful and a little. A handful and a little, that's all we seem to have. You see, great steps of faith to obey God with what she has. She steps out with what she has, and she obeys God. You know, when we give out of our abundance, it takes little faith. When we give out of our poverty, it takes increased faith. You see, the amount was not much, and the amount, and God has never been concerned with the amount that we surrendered to him. He's not worried with how much we give. He's not impressed with the fact that we can write large checks or we can write, uh, you know, and give large amounts or huge talents and huge gifts. God's not impressed with those things. What God wants is not just what we give, but how we give. When we consider the widow's might in Mark 12 and 41, when Jesus is sitting by the treasure and he's watching the people give, the Bible does not say that he watched what they gave. He watched how they gave. And many came in, and they gave with, watch what I'm giving, and they laid it down, and they made big scenes about how they give. And yet this widow came in, and she gave, I picture, in a very humble way, not to be seen, but to set it down and to give willingly all that she had. There was a surrender to what she's given. And that, that, that picture here of this woman taking her little bit of oil or her handful and her little and she's taking that handful and little and at the word of God she takes it and she gives it to the prophet she takes it and she makes a, a cake for him first see God is not limited by our resources God is not limited by what we don't have God wants to use what we do have and I've, I've told the joke before but the farmer came to the pastor in a tough time and he said pastor I want you to know if I had a thousand dollars I'd give half of it to the church and he said well I really appreciate that that's very kind of you to say that and he said no no preacher I mean if I had a hundred dollars I'd give half of it to the church and he said well that's really nice of you and he said preacher if I had fifty dollars I'd give half of it to the church finally the preacher said well what if you had twenty dollars he goes that's no fair pastor you know I have twenty dollars 
And so often what we do is we look at what we have and excuse a, a, and a holding on to and we hold back. And let me say this. I believe that when we are not willing to step out in faith, we miss the ministry that God has for us on the other side of the step of faith. There is a ministry out there. This widow woman has a ministry that is coming. She doesn't have enough to accomplish the ministry, but God is the one that supplies it. And I think of the way that God's people continue to give at Shelby Bible Church even through this time. And let me commend you the way you have given and to continue to give faithfully. And you can do so, of course, through all the different avenues that we've set up, through our online giving. You can mail the checks in the church and all of that. And so many of you have been faithful to do that. Let me just commend you on it and encourage you to continue to do so. God blesses the faithful giving of his people. It always has. And here in this text, we find this young uh, widow woman with a young child now destitute with nothing left but a handful and a little, a handful of meal, a little bit of oil. She steps out in faith. The greater step of faith is seen here not only when we consider that she gave what she had, but she gave what her dependents needed. It adds a whole other dimension to it, doesn't it? It's one thing if I give you my last meal. It's another thing altogether that she looked at her son who was also about to die and says, not only am I going to give this man and trust God with the last meal for my son, I'm going to give this man and trust God with the last meal, uh, not for me, but I'm going to also trust him with the last meal for my son. You know, I think too often if we're not careful, we can walk about living a faith that is good enough for us, but we don't want to ask our children to trust God in the same way. If we're not careful, we as parents can insulate our children from having to depend upon God. Let me say this, you and I are not the solution for our children. The Lord Jesus Christ is. He is the one they need. He is the one they need to depend on. Do I trust God with my children? Do I trust God with their resources? Do I trust God with their future, with their time, with their talents? Would I surrender my children over and say, God, this is not my child, but they're simply given to me for a time to steward for you, and Lord, now, as we did when we said we dedicated them to you, we give them back to you and say, God, here they are. You use them as you please. You take them and raise them up and put them on any place you want to put them. If you want to send my child to the foreign field, my hands are open, God. If you want to take my child and send him away to do gospel ministry, my hand's open. If you want to place my child in a different line of work than I want them to go into, they're not mine, they're yours. Taking our hands off and letting our children depend upon God. You see, our children are watching us and they know whether or not we trust God. Our testimony reveals what we believe I love Psalm 78 and 4. He said, we will not hide them, talking about the works of God. We will not hide them from their children. We will show to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, his strength, his wonderful works that he has done. He said, we're not going to be quiet about this. We're going to declare what God has done. We're going to make it known to them. Parents, let me challenge you this morning. Let us walk in faith before our children. And not only walk in faith for our children, but call them to walk in faith as well. Challenge them to walk in this same faith. So we see a limited resource, and we see an obedient servant. So what was her plan? Well, she told Elijah, my plan, this is my plan. My plan is to take the handful of meal and the little bit of oil. I'm going to put them together. I'm going to bake a small cake. Me and my son are going to eat it, and then we're going to die. That's a very short-lived plan. It's a very short-sighted plan. 
but based upon her resources, she had and could see no other options. This is all I've got. And yet what Elijah says, no, I want you to take that handful of meal and that little bit of oil, and I want you to put them together, and I want you to surrender that to God, and God will use it to multiply and supply ministry for you, or supply for you and your son, and ministry through you and your son. You see, she had enough to finish her plan, and she had enough to start God's. Have you ever noticed that it seems that God just keeps us a little bit leaner than we want to be? Seems like that things are going really well and something happens to kind of pull things back just a little bit. Because I think God knows that we need to be reminded of our need of him. As a nation, we need to be reminded of our need of him. As a church, we need to be reminded of our need of him. That our sufficiency never has come from how much meal we have in the barrel or how much oil we have in the cruise, but our sufficiency has all come from the fact that the God of heaven is the one that has called us and given, the ministry, given us this ministry. I love how this says when God, God's plan for her in this famine, the first thing that Elijah says to her is do not fear. Do not fear. Doesn't that describe often what we're dealing with right now? Do not fear. I, I looked in the scripture and that phrase, that exact phrase, do not fear or be not afraid, this phrase is used 62 times in our Bible. 62 times we're admonished not to fear. Why do you think 62 times God would have to remind us not to fear? Because he knew how prone to fear we are. And how fearful we can be. You see, it is our first response to fear. And faith is a choice when fear comes. So often fear is the first thing that we see. What's next? How am I going to feed my son? How am I going to supply in the midst of a famine? And he stands, she stands there looking at the handful and the little. And no doubt fear and even despair was in front of her. And now she has an opportunity to act in faith. You see, if we have no need, uh, if we have no need to fear, we have no need to step out in faith. It is only when I am uncertain that I can truly trust God. The times of certainty, when I have been convinced that I know what I'm doing, I wasn't trusting God because I didn't think I needed to. But I can tell you there have been many days and many times where I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what the future held. I didn't know how it was going to work out. I couldn't see past the end of the next day. I didn't know what was going to turn around. And in those moments, that's when Mike Montgomery found himself on his face and in greater dependence upon a God who did know the future, who knew the beginning, who knew the end, and I could trust that God in the moment. And it was in those moments that I found myself walking in faith, not certain of what tomorrow holds, but certain of who holds tomorrow, and resting in the fact that he was in control. You see, it is in our fear of God, it is in our fear, rather, that God platforms his people's faith. It is David before Goliath that we see God showing great faith. It is Moses before the Red Sea. In fear, God shows great faith. It is all of these things of trusting God in the midst of uncertain moments. And this is an opportunity to be obedient servants in the midst of fearful times. You see, her, her actions reveal her faith not in Elijah, but in Jehovah God. 
This is an obedient servant, not of Elijah, because the Bible tells us earlier that he tells him, I have commanded, verse number nine, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. God had directly commanded this widow to do this. She had already heard the word of God that she was supposed to sustain Elijah. And now she comes in listening to the voice of God, responding to the voice of God, obeying the voice of God. And demonstrating that even as a Gentile widow woman, she had faith in God. And God did a work through this Gentile woman that nobody in Israel wanted to be done through them. Here a Gentile was trusting in God to meet her needs. Trusting in God to supply. So we see a miraculous ministry. What do we see? We see first off she gave as God provided Never seeing more than she needed, but always having enough to sustain and to minister. We are blessed. So often we can see that we have wealth in the bank or we have resources at our fingertips and the ability to do things and to make decisions. And yet we're reminded how fragile all of that security really is. Because in times like these, those things can be taken away so quickly and we're reminded that our hope does not rest in what our bank account says or what our job status is, but our hope rests in the Lord Jesus Christ. I said earlier that God always seems to keep his people a little leaner than they would like to be. I think he does this so that his provision would build our faith, not feed our apathy. Too often when we have more than we need, we're like the fool in the New Testament who says, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build greater. I'll store up for many years and I will say to my soul, eat, drink, and be merry. Look at all that I have. Look at all that I have provided. But in moments like this, and rightly so, we should be looking to God saying, God, we don't have the answers. We don't know what to do. And we depend upon a God who does. We've seen in this text so far that Jehovah God is the one that provides. Almighty God is the one that provides. You see, trials are building our faith. Blessings, unconsidered and unused, oftentimes tear down our faith. When God gives us blessings, let us not stop recognizing them as blessings. You know, I, I assume, as you are hoping and praying, that in a few short months, things will return as normal. And we'll get back to what normal is again. We'll redefine that and we'll go back to having different gatherings and games and all those things. And in a few years, 10, 15 years, people will look back and write about this time. And we may even remember what took place. And there may even be some times where people stop for a few moments and remember kind of like we do 9-11 now. And maybe that'll be the way it is. I don't know. But I do have a sense, because it is human nature to do so, that after this is over, we'll go back to depending upon ourselves. We'll go back to saying, well, we got this figured out, and we've got the plans, and we've got the resources. But let us as believers remember that no matter how much we have in the barrel, no matter how much oil we have in the cruise, It is God who sustains the barrel. It is God that sustains the cruise of oil. And we can do nothing apart from him. 
Let us turn our attention fully on him. You think all this is shadowing something. He's telling a nation of Israel who is dead and away from him, who is dry and barren and has a famine of the word of God, he's saying to them, if you want life, there's only one God that can give it. Because what does he give them? He tells them, if you want water, it only comes from Jehovah God. If you want bread, it's Jehovah God that can give bread. And in the next part of this text, if you want a resurrection, there's only one God that can give you a resurrection. And next week, we look forward to the fact that the resurrection rests upon the work of Jesus Christ, that he is alive and well. And based upon that, we stand in hope, not just of today and tomorrow, but our eternity is secure in what he's done. I hope these words this morning would find you and cause us, as I opened up this morning, let us not return to being strong but let us be constantly aware of how weak we truly are. Would you join me in prayer as we close this morning? Father, so often we come to venues to preach over the last month in this, whether it be Bible study or through this uh, preaching hour, and Lord, we can find ourselves feeling very futile in the work. And Lord, forgive us of not putting our confidence in the word in those moments. But Lord, we are promised that your word will not return void. And Lord, we rest in that this morning. Lord, bless us now as we conclude the service with another song together. May you be honored in all that is done. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.